The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 147 of the podcast today. It's Sunday, July the 7th, and we are coming off of a huge UFC pay-per-view weekend. UFC 239 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. But before we get to that, first things first, let me introduce back from a deadly cough. Back. From the depths of Atlantic City and into your ear holes, all the way from New Jersey, Jeff, the animal, Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling on this Sunday afternoon, my friend? Welcome back. Bill, I'm phenomenal. I'm glad to be back. Thanks to the manimal for filling in last week. And Bill... The the USA women's soccer team just won the Women's World Cup for the second tournament in a row. I'm really excited. Glad to be back on the show. I missed you, Bill. I missed talking about some MMA, and we had plenty last night to talk about. Yeah, man. We've even had a little bit of radio silence. We haven't been texting as much as usual in the in your absence here. I think just to to build the tension of your comeback. The the fans <laughs> have been clamoring. They, they want more animal, but definitely a shout out to the manimal who, who stepped up last week uh, to, to fill in the shoes of the animal. Of course, I'm talking about John the Manimal Benaducci from the MMA and Beyond podcast. So definitely appreciate him stepping up last week. Let's jump right into it, Jeff. Man, <clears throat> what a fucking crazy pay-per-view. I mean... It, it was one of those shows, it was kind of like up and down. The early prelims were nuts. We had some great finishes. And then the the ESPN prelims kind of, you know, tapered off a little bit. And then the pay-per-view got off to a little bit of a slow start. And, and then it just got fucking shot out of a cannon after that for the rest of the night. So let's start at the top here. I mean, it, you could take your pick of where we could start, but... Um, since everything has a story and, and requires a little bit of analysis here and a little bit of a breakdown, let's just start at the top, work our way down. John Jones defends his light heavyweight championship against Tiago Santos, who, you know, leading up to this week, I feel like was pretty much written off. Um, aside from the few people who always appear every time John Jones fights and, and picks the other guy and, and says, you know, tries to give some example as, as to why he should win. And uh, pretty much exactly what I was talking about last week, you know, outside of a, a puncher's chance and and catching Jones uh, in a state where he was taking the fight light, lightly. And um, I think there may have been some evidence of that. I mean, he didn't look to be in the greatest shape we've ever seen him. Uh, but outside of that, um, didn't really seem like there was a, a chance for Tiago Santos here outside of, of landing a big shot, which he, you know, he definitely tried. And I've said for a long time, Jeff, especially here on this show, uh, a patient Tiago Santos 
is one of the scariest and most dangerous men walking the face of this earth. I stand by that statement. Uh, I think he had a good game plan, but uh, when you fight for five rounds with your back up against the cage, um, it, it doesn't matter if you have a couple of quick bursts at, and a couple of quick explosions uh, and, and even hurt the champ a little bit. Uh, it's not going to be enough to to take the belt off his waist. Uh, one judge seemed to think that Tiago Santos did enough. Um, I, I definitely disagree with that. Uh, I saw Jones uh, handily winning this fight. Um, you know, he took the first round off as he often does, just trying to get a beat and get and get his opponent's rhythm. And then, you know, t throughout the fight, Tiago uh, hurt both of his legs basically, but uh, was still dangerous, which is why Jones wisely did not jump on any opportunities that uh, Santos seemed hurt. And, uh, you know, he played it smart in there. Yeah, he fought a smart fight. Uh, that's one thing you have to admit about John Jones. He has a really high IQ. He knows how to stay out of trouble. Um, you know, he got clipped a couple of times, but, um, you know, compared to what we've seen, those couple of clips due to other people from Tiago Santos, um, you know, Jones really wore it well, in my opinion. Uh, how did you see this main event going down, Jeff? Bill, I really thought Tiago Santos went in there with a really good game plan, attacking John Jones' legs uh, from the beginning. And then somewhere in the second round, it looked like Tiago Santos hurt something in one of his knees. And uh, he was having a hard time moving around after that. Still, you know, uh, did what he could on one leg. Uh, you got to give him credit for that. He's a tough guy. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, I really wanted Tiago Santos to win this fight. I'm a really big fan of his. I'd like to see him as a light heavyweight champion. But unfortunately, Bill, he just didn't do enough to, to get it done last night. I I don't think he, uh, I, I don't see why the one judge had it for Tiago Santos. Um, I had it three rounds for Jones, uh, definitely two, three, and four. Maybe two was a toss-up. Um, because in the beginning, Santos wasn't looking too bad, but, um, ultimately I gave that one to Jones. Um, maybe the fifth round you give to Santos too, cause he's been a lot more aggressive, but at that point he was going for broke. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a close fight. I, I thought it was probably even closer than the first John Jones and Gustafson fight. Mm. Um, you know, we've talked about that on the show in the past. A lot of people thought Gustafson won, but, um, Going back and, and really dissecting that one, I thought it was probably a four to one uh, victory for John Jones in that one. So I thought this one was maybe a little bit closer. Look, there's at the end of the day, there's two reasons. If you're clamoring for Tiago Santos um, and, and saying that he won this fight, there can only be two reasons. One, you took him as that plus 1100 underdog and you laid a lot of money on it, which is not a terrible bet. Uh, cause that's where he opened. I believe he closed at a plus three fifty. Oh, so, wow. so for those who don't gamble a lot, if you bet a hundred dollars on Tiago Santos, uh, when the line first opened, you could potentially win $1,100. But if too many people start placing that bet, then, uh, the line has to draw closer to breaking even because that's just how the casinos, uh, make their money. You know, they, they have to cover their losses and stuff. They can't just give everybody those odds, mm. uh, especially as it gets closer to the fight. So it opened at plus 1100, closed at plus 350. So you could still bet $100. And if Tiago Santos won, you would win $350. So that's the first reason you thought 
that Tiago Santos won that fight. And the second reason, if you're still really adamant that Tiago Santos won that fight, it's because you don't like John Jones as a person. That's just the way it is. You weren't watching this fight objectively. If this fight were boxing and it were a challenger uh, against a champion in boxing, they would not have even given Tiago Santos that first round, which, uh, you know, he won because John Jones, like I said, was getting his rhythm yep. uh, and he took the round off. But Tiago didn't really do much in that first round either. Uh, it was a it was a fairly uneventful round. But again, if this were boxing, John Jones would have won this uh, 50 to 45. Um, and, and that's just the way it goes. You have to beat the champ to, to become the champ. It has to be convincing. Like you've got to beat the fuck out of him. Mm -hmm. Um, and Santos didn't do that at all. Uh, he had a couple of moments here where he, he had John rocked. He had him in some trouble. Uh, John even fell on the ground a couple of times, which we're not used to seeing. I think it might've been, you know, one of the only times we've seen him on his back, you know, Gustafson took him down, uh, which he got back up. And then, you know, he had that, <laughs> that incident and i think it was in the third round he went for a flying knee and then he he wound up head over heels but, but popped right back up um but yeah nothing outside of a couple of explosive moments for tiago santos in this fight uh neither of these guys could walk uh at the yeah. end of this which you know they both left it all on the line so if you're going to talk about the toughness of tiago santos you have to talk about the toughness of john jones as well because he took a lot of hard leg kicks from santos who you know despite being wobbly on those legs, he was still throwing them fucking hard at John. I mean, he was leaving everything out there. He put it all on the line. Um, and, and John Jones took everything he had to throw at him. And, um, so you really have to admire the toughness of both of these guys. Um, it, and, and that's the problem too. You can't, you can't make it a one-sided thing. You can't say, well, Tiago is tougher. Tiago did more damage. And, and go on and on that all that tells me when you have that kind of opinion is that you don't like john jones as a person which is fine i can totally understand that um I, i'm not the biggest fan of him as a person either but as a fighter you still have to look at the fight for what it was and it was a, a victory for john jones and i don't think there's much of an argument there it was definitely close um but yeah, and if the decision had gone to Santos, we we've seen much worse decisions. Um, but you know, there were two rounds of this fight where he could barely stand on his feet. Um, yeah. So that's that. I'm not sure what's next. I don't see a rematch happening just because um, uh, Dana White pretty much already shot it down. Um, Something that was in the works would have been Luke Rockhold against John Jones, but that was thwarted earlier in the night uh, by Jan Blahovich. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but anything else on this main event here, Jeff? Yeah, um, I agree with you 100%. I think John Jones, you know, while I'm not his biggest fan as a person, as a fighter, I think he's a genius, man. Um, he was very, very weary of uh, Tiago Santos' power, and that's why you didn't see him try to swarm, because that's when whenever Jones would get too close santos would just start throwing wild and jones very intelligently just backed away um you know he knew the type of fight he needed to fight against tiago santos and that was just to win points stay away from his power and he did all that very effectively um and like you said dude jo jones's uh lead leg was busted up at the end of probably the first two rounds and, and for yeah. him to be able to continue uh, just as well. He's a really tough dude. So I think this was an awesome fight. Um, probably not as exciting 
my some of the knockouts we saw earlier on in the card, but a very, very, really good technical display from both of these guys. Um, I really hope Santos gets a rematch someday. I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. Uh, as good as his performance was on one leg, I don't think it merits an immediate rematch. I think he's got to build his way back up again. Um, probably take some time off and recover. Because um, Joe Rogan was saying he might have torn an ACL. I don't know about all that. I'm not an expert on that. But I would like Santos uh, to take some time, recover, and then see him back in there when he's at 100%. Yeah, I would think um, maybe a rematch with Anthony Smith would be a good thing for Tiago Santos. Uh, those two, of course, have fought at middleweight. Anthony Smith coming off that submission victory of Alexander Gustafson. And you definitely can't put Anthony Smith back in there with John Jones because he was just completely dominated for five rounds. Uh, but I, I think that would be a good fight in the interim. And in the meantime, we've got a lot of tough uh, young guys coming up in this division from the contender series. And, you know, you got Johnny Walker, you got Jan Blahovich, uh, you know, we've got a pretty strong division here uh, compared to a couple of years ago. And then, uh, you can't rule out Daniel Cormier because, you know, maybe Jones will be convinced to move up if uh, Cormier beats Stipe, but he wants to fight at 205 uh, if they do the trilogy. So, you know, maybe that'll happen depending how Cormier feels uh, coming out of the fight with Stipe. So, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities here. Uh, it's good to see John Jones active again. Uh, I, I think he said he wants to fight. Uh, twice more before the year is over. Um, but we'll see how that goes. We'll see how his recovery is. Uh, um, yeah, Santos was definitely beating up those legs, those tiny legs of John Jones. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, that, that's the other reason it was kind of apparent that Jones maybe wasn't in the best shape because his legs looked even smaller. Uh, you know, he's always had like small legs and he's even talked about it in the past. It's just, you know, genetically how it turned out. He's not built, <laughs> he's not built like a defensive end, like his brothers, uh, <laughs> um, who are both defensive ends. Yeah. <laughs> in the NFL. <laughs> That's and very good ones too, from what I understand. Um, yeah. So we'll see what's next for these guys. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was a war. So, so credit to the toughness of both of these guys. Um, you know, it was a nail biter of a fight. It's not the kind of fight I would want to go back and watch again. Um, but it was good for for what it was. Uh, let's move on to the co-main event here. And, man, what can you say about Amanda Nunez except she's the best female fighter to ever walk the face of the earth? Uh, there's no other way you can put it. She's she's beaten every other woman who has ever been a champion in the bantamweight and featherweight divisions. Uh, as young as that featherweight division is, uh, she's beaten everybody. And you could tell in that first round she was throwing a lot of feints she was trying to get her range, uh, and you could tell she was looking to throw some big power from that right side, from her strong side. I thought it was going to be an overhand, but it wound up being a kick that put Holly home down. From the first angle, it kind of looked like Holly was okay. She landed on her butt, and she immediately started scooting back and looked like um, you know, she was getting up defensively, and then Nunez hit her with two shots right behind the ear uh, that came straight down. Uh, like a fucking boulder falling out of the sky. And again, from that first angle, it looked like she might've been okay, but then they showed the behind angle where she stumbled and uh, Mark Goddard had to help her up. And, and even then she was stumbling when she was on her feet. Definitely a good stoppage there 
at first I was like, oh, it's Mark Goddard. He's just stopping the fight because it went to the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, Holly Holm was out and, um, you know, it was a good stoppage. And man, what a win for Amanda Nunez. What a story. Um, you know, you just can't say enough good things about her. She's just she's just a phenomenal fighter. She's the best to ever do it um, in my book. And I think in a lot of people's books, give me your thoughts on this co-main event, Jeff. Dude, agree with you a hundred percent. Like you said, the first camera angle, all I saw was Holly Holm get up and Mark Goddard kind of hug her. I, I, you know, I thought it was a bad stoppage at first. Then they did the reverse angle and you see Holly Holm just unable to stand, you know, yeah. like a newborn giraffe. Yeah. She was on um, the Bambi legs. Yeah, dude. Um, but what can you say about Amanda Nunez, man? Uh, I thought Holly Holm was looking good uh, at the start of that because uh, Nunez went for a very nice uh, judo throw, uh, leg trip kind of thing. And Holly Holm did a great job of using the wizard to to keep Nunez from jumping on top of her. Got up really quick. And, I, you know, I was thinking, OK, we're, we're OK here. I think uh, this will probably go five rounds. And then. Nunez kind of fakes out Holly Holm because Holm lifts her leg to kind of check a leg kick. And and it was I, – I didn't understand why she did that until I saw the replay where Nunez took like a half step with her lead leg and then switched it up and uh, lands that uh, that uh, head kick, which Holly Holm uses a lot to finish people. Mm-hmm. So I was really, really impressed with that. And, I mean, what can you say about Amanda Nunez here? She's beaten – essentially the female titans of MMA, uh, beating Ronda, Misha Tate, now Holly Holm, all former band, all the former bandweight champions and, uh, KO'd cyborg, uh, like we've never seen before for, for the featherweight championship. And now she wants to defend that featherweight championship. So Bill, I mean, what do you do here? Uh, it feels like Amanda Nunez has cleaned out both of her divisions here. So who, what do you see next for her? Yeah, well, what she said she wants to do is defend her featherweight title. So first of all, she's the first double champ in UFC history, male or female, to win a belt, move up, win another belt, and then return to her original weight class and defend that belt. Um, So that's a huge accomplishment in itself. You know, Conor McGregor, of course, was the first to do it. Uh, You know, he was the featherweight champion. He moved up to lightweight, but he stayed there. He never went back to defend his featherweight championship he had to be stripped of that um you know same with daniel cormier daniel cormier stayed at heavyweight and he had to be stripped of his light heavyweight title uh henry cejudo still has both he has the opportunity to to defend um back at his original weight class of flyweight but um you know he hasn't done that yet and he's going to be on the shelf for a little bit uh, with a shoulder injury and his fractured ankle everything else he's got going on so credit to amanda nunez for you, you know being such a pioneer, you know, of course the first openly gay champion in MMA history. Uh, so that's awesome for her. She's a great ambassador for that community. She's a great ambassador for women in general. Um, and, and just a great fighter, you know, and and we've just seen, I think the surface of, of what she's capable of because, uh, you know, we saw her outstrike a striker last night and she's also a black belt Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So, Uh, Who's out there who can stop her? Um, My opinion, possibly Valentina Shevchenko in a a third fight. Um, That's something I would like to see. We saw the first time they fought, it was a three-round fight, and we saw Amanda Nunez gas in that third round, and Valentina won the third round. If that had been a five-round fight, 
Maybe Valentina could have won it. Uh, in their second fight, I thought Valentina won. Uh, when the decision came around, she did not. The decision went to Amanda Nunez. It was a very close fight, but it was a very competitive fight. And Valentina is the only one who I think has really shown uh, Amanda Nunez any problems uh, since she's been on this championship run. So maybe the flyweight champion moving up, but um, uh, outside of that, uh, I don't really see I don't really see a, a challenge for her right now. But you know, this is something we've thought. Uh, many times in the past before we thought for a long time that there was nobody who could challenge Ronda Rousey. And then, you know, Holly Holm comes out of nowhere. And then, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of been a whirlwind in, in women's MMA ever since, but this is a great time for women's MMA. And, and a lot of that is due to the champ, Linus Meta Nunez. Uh, anything else on this co-main event, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I got to disagree with you. I think there's one woman out there who can <clears throat> beat Amanda Nunez because she's already beaten Amanda Nunez. Her name is Kat Zingano, Bill. Oh, geez. I think we need to run that one back now. Um, <laughs> I think it's the perfect time. Uh, Kat Zingano, she wants to move up to featherweight too. Uh, she's already beaten Nunez. I think that Nunez herself wants to get that one back. Um, and I say, let's do it, man. Um, I feel like both um, women's divisions right now, uh, bandweight and featherweight, are you know in a little bit of a, of a toss-up. So I say, let's mix it up and just throw Katz and Gano in there. I don't even care what weight class. Make it both weight classes. <laughs> Have them fight yeah. at 135 and then 145. Um, I just think that's the fight to make at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you could be right, uh, and and they could throw her in there. Uh, the, the problems I see with this theory, Jeff, is that Kat has lost four of her last five. Of course, she's coming off that unfortunate TKL loss to Megan Anderson where she got the toe in the eye. Um it, it was five years ago that she beat Amanda Nunez before she went on this epic championship run. But you're right. She does have a, a victory over her nonetheless. Um, it, you know, it, it is a fight that could potentially come together and it, and it would make sense. There's, you know, there's a backstory there. You know, it would be kind of similar to uh, Michael Bisbing defending his belt against Dan Henderson just because there was a grudge. And even though Dan Henderson was ranked like 14th or whatever at the time, uh, you know, they were able to put it together, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, that, that wouldn't make sense. So a uh, valid point there, Jeff. Um, you know, I guess if you're going to be a nitpicker, like I'm being, it, it wouldn't make sense, but, um, yeah, I think it would be a fun, fun little grudge match. All right. <clears throat> wow. So here was the shock of the night. In, in my opinion, not a shock that Jorge Masvidal beat Ben Askren because, uh, I say time and time again, Jorge Masvidal is a guy you can never count out against anybody. I said that before the Darren Till fight. I said that last week in regards to his fight with Ben Askren. But this, th this fight was so astronomical for so many reasons because, you know, you had some, some awkward kind of trash talk in there. I don't feel like Ben Askren ever really gets offensive with his trash talk, but Jorge Masvidal is just a guy you don't do it with because he gets mad and then stuff like this happens. And this fight was so impactful because here you have Ben Askren undefeated and, you know, he does this corny boom roasted videos and like his, his dad bod baby shark uh, music videos and he's like very cocky very arrogant like i'm gonna be fighting for the title i'm gonna pass colby covington for his title and he's talking all this stuff about 
all great things he's going to do. And he's on such a high horse and they get knocked off of it in five seconds and almost put into a coma. I mean, this is one of the most vicious flying knee knockouts in the history of the UFC, breaking the record for the fastest knockout in UFC history. And it probably could have been even faster if Herb Dean um, had gotten in there. Uh, I'm sorry, Jason Herzog had gotten in there uh, right after the knee landed uh, because those two punches that Ashkin took on the ground were just insult to injury. So Jorge Masvidal comes out with his hands behind his back, runs in a crescent moon shape to his right, and then cuts back into his... <laughs> Cuts back in to a Ben Askren who's bending over for a takedown and just connects with a flying right knee uh, to the right side of Ben's face. And it was just perfectly timed. He grabbed a hold of Ben's shoulder as he was falling down so he wouldn't roll too far away so he could follow up with more punches before Jason Herzog could get in there. And, um, man, the rest is history. Uh, give me your reaction to this fight, Jeff. Bill, Jorge Masvidal is someone I would never want to piss off after seeing that. Jesus, man. I mean, what do you, what do you even what do you do to someone who can do that to you? I mean, um <laughs> I, I'm just left speechless, dude. Like I saw it happen and it took my brain like 15 minutes to process what had happened. Um, like you said, Masvidal just breaks into a full-on sprint. Um, like you said, in a curve, and then runs right back at Ben Askren. And as he's coming down, just hits him with a knee that I thought had, like, cracked his skull. I don't know how Ben Askren is alive right now, dude. Mm -hmm. um, just absolute madness. I mean, um, you know, dude, I don't even know what to say about this. Um, Bill, do you, think, do you think we give Masvidal a title shot here? What do we do? Yeah, I mean, I don't really see anything else that makes sense. If Kamaru Usman is healthy, um, you know, maybe before awarding him the title shot, we see what happens with the Colby Covington-Robbie Lawler fight. But um, I, I don't see either of those two getting out of that fight um, injury-free. I think that's going to be a really tough fight, uh, just despite what a lot of people think. A lot of people uh, writing off Colby Covington right away, which I, I don't know how you can do because... Um, you know, the guy is cringeworthy, uh, he's annoying, he's obnoxious, but he can fucking fight. And, and people seem to forget that every time Colby Covington's name comes up. Um, but yeah, depending what happens there, uh, I think you can definitely throw Usman. And, um, you know, Usman was in attendance and he was saying he doesn't want this work. And, um, you know, talking about Masvidal. So I, I think that's an interesting fight. We could have we could potentially see the fight that we were hoping to see with Askren, where, you know, will his takedown defense be enough? Um uh, you know, or will he be able to finish the fight on the feet before we have to find out, which is what happened with Ben Askren. But man, this sets Ben Askren way back. Um a lot of people calling for him to retire. Uh, that's ridiculous. This is still a guy who has accomplished so much in MMA and you know, if you don't like him as a person, then then that's fine. But you can't. It, it's the same thing with Colby Covington. You can't take away what the guy has accomplished in mixed martial arts, uh, which is incredible to win 19 fights in a row without 
even really coming close to a loss. Um, except in that Robbie Lawler fight, he was in a little bit of trouble, but, um, to take away everything that this guy has accomplished in, in, in a five second loss and saying that he needs to walk away from MMA is absurd. There's definitely a lot of fights out there for Ben Askren. He needs to take some time off. He's 34, 35 years old. First knockout loss of his life. Um, he's going to need to take at least six months off to recover from this one. He's going to have to be quiet for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, the trash talk will definitely have to, simmer down and and who knows if he'll even be the same fighter after this i mean that was a, a brutally vicious knockout but um you know if he wants to hang around then um th there's definitely a place for him in the ufc i think he definitely still belongs here uh, there's no question about that um yeah man it's crazy how far he fell. A lot of people, um, you know, mixed reactions with Jorge Masvidal after the fight, you know, getting in Ben Askren's unconscious face and yelling at him and then mocking him and laying on the ground and then, uh, you know, talking shit in the press conference. It, it should be when, when the fight is over, it's over. But then his response to that was, you know, this guy's allowed to say whatever he wants uh, leading up to the fight. Um, but once it's over, I, I'm not allowed to say anything else. Like, why does it have to work like that? And I guess that makes sense. Um, you know, I'm a fan of sportsmanship, uh, at the end of the day, I like to see, you know, if you beat a guy, you shake his hand and walk away. If you lose to a guy, you shake his hand and walk away. Um, and, and you leave it at that. But, uh, you know, I definitely understand his argument. Uh, and, any thoughts on the, uh, post-fight antics, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I wasn't a fan of that. Um, I felt like there was no need for that. You know, Mosfet already won. Um, you know, and I put that in in parentheses and I underlined that because he won in a major way. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a win like that kind of squashes the beef. You know what I mean? Um, I felt like it was definitive. Um but yeah, um, aside from that, you know, I, I don't think Masvidal loses any stock here. Um, like I said, I, I you know, I could do without all the post-fight stuff. But, um, you know, he's, Masvidal is a great fighter. I can't wait to see um, where he lands in the in this title picture here. And as for Ben Askren, um, uh, like you said, I, th I agree. I think he needs a while to recover. Um, even after he, he was moving around and stuff, you know, at no point was he like able to move on his own you mm -hmm. know what i mean after the fight um you know super glassy-eyed you could tell once he was standing up you're still really out of it um but i'm curious to see how ben Askren bounces back you know um he's a tough dude you don't get to 19 and 0 for nothing um you know and he's won a title belt in every organization he's fought in so you know i don't think ben Askren. Uh, loses too much stock here, you know. Obviously, does it look bad? Yes, but I th I feel like there's an opportunity for him to bounce back, you know, reassess some things, uh, add some some things to his game. So I'm I'm curious to see how he's going to bounce back from this. Um, but yeah, Bill, that's not the last knockout of the night that we're going to talk about, is it? No, I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not. And I'll tell you something, Jeff. I think. Luke Rockhold had a worse night than Ben Askren because Ben Ben Askren's knockout was more devastating and yeah he was put out, out un, completely unconscious whereas Rockhold wasn't but 
you got to remember Rockhold took a lot of damage in the first round of this fight where he yep. was almost knocked out with a head kick at the end of it. I mean, he went down and sat down on a stool that wasn't there in his corner. <laughs> uh, uh, so he was out of it and then came out in the second round and got knocked out, got his jaw broken, actually. Um, so I think he definitely took a lot more damage than Askren did. Yeah, Askren got his lights put out with one shot uh, and he got him put out hard, but um, you got to think about the accumulative damage that Luke Rockhold took last night. And uh, this is kind of, you know, kind of what I was predicting with this fight because Rockhold is a guy who hangs those hands so low and Blahovich is a guy who throws straight punches and, and that's just a bad combination. He's a big, strong dude. And Rockhold was saying, I'm going to bring so much more power to this 205 pound division. Yeah, that's probably true. But you're also in there with guys uh, who are bringing a lot more power than the guys you've been fighting. Mm -hmm. And your chin's already been tenderized in the last couple of years. Because if you look at Luke Rockhold's resume in the last couple of years, he had a really tough fight with Chris Wyman where he won the title. Then he gets knocked out unconscious by Bisping. Then he almost gets knocked out in the first round against David Branch. Uh, he winds up, uh, you know, submitting him with punches in the second round of that fight but then that brutal knockout loss to yoel romero that was in february last year he did the smart thing took a long time off you know almost a year and a half and uh but now broken jaw i mean i don't know i don't know what happens to luke rockle from here i mean if he wins this fight he's probably fighting john jones next uh because there's such a great storyline there he wants to avenge his teammate dc and, and everything like that but Man, he looks past Jan Blahovich, and, and there was something else going on with Luke Rockhold. They said he had some staph infections leading up to this camp, and after that first round, man, he just looked winded. I don't know if he put on too much weight to, to move up or if that staph infection was getting to him, but you could tell like he was fighting with uh, some urgency in that first round and, and seemed to blow all his energy, which is not something we're used to seeing from Luke Rockhold. But uh, give me your thoughts on this fight, Jeff, and the win from Blahovich. Yeah, dude. Uh, something was definitely different about Rockhold, and I agree with you. I think he wasn't used to carrying around the extra weight uh, going up to 205. Um, you know, he looked good physically, but, dude, you could tell. Um, when he was hanging on uh, Jan Blahovich in the first round, it just it wasn't working. Uh, we've talked about Blahovich and how good he is in the clinch. And Luke Rockhold, um, you know, was getting into the clinch with him, you know, and it it, it looked like there was a disparity in strength here. Um, I think Luke Rockhold underestimated how strong some of these light heavyweights are. And like you said, they're bringing a lot more power than the guys he's used to fighting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and in that, you know, in that second round, just Jan Blahovich, it was all him. Uh, like you said, he almost got knocked out in the in the first round right at the bell is when Jan Blachowicz threw that head kick. And I guess Luke Rockhold, just, he just wasn't there. Um, I don't know if it was the jump in weight. You know, 20 pounds is a lot. Something was definitely up. But um, I think you're right. I think his chin has been softened up, especially after that knockout by Yoel Romero. That was really bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, to see him with a broken jaw and stuff, I think you're right. I think it was a worse night for Luke Rockhold than Ben Askren. Uh, you know, Ben Askren, while he did get KO'd in five seconds, that's only one shot he had to take. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Luke Rockhold, like you said, uh, he took a lot of shots, took a lot of damage. 
But Bill, um, what what do you what do you do with Luke Rockhold at this point? Do you do, do you think he maybe hangs up the gloves? Does he just take a long break again? What does he do here? Um, it's hard to say, man. I mean, he, you know, he took a year and a half off after that last knockout, which is the right thing to do. I mean, who knows what he's doing in the gym in the meantime? You know, if he's ever getting knocked out in the gym, that kind of resets the clock again. Um, Dana White was calling for him to retire and hang it up. You know, it's it's in his last four fights, it's three knockouts and one almost knockout. Uh, so that's never a good thing. You never want to see a guy uh, go down like that, especially a guy like Luke Rockhold, who seemed like he was going to be like the unbeatable force that Anderson Silva was at middleweight, you know, after he beat Chris Weidman and everything like that. Um, if he does decide to come back in like a year's time, you know, you do have Chris Weidman moving up to 205. So depending on what happens with him in that division, uh, you've got that grudge match down the line. Uh, that's a potential for Luke Rockhold. I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Um, I don't see him working up to a title shot anytime soon uh, to challenge John Jones. If John Jones is still the champion a couple years down the line. Um, I mean, he doesn't need to fight, I'm sure. I mean, the guy was modeling for Ralph Lauren a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, he could definitely go on to other things uh, as long as they don't involve talking because he's fucking terrible at that. Um, <laughs> that is definitely I, true. Yeah, I, I mean, I would encourage a lot of these guys to start, um, you know, a radio show or doing broadcasting. I would not encourage Luke Rockhold to do that. Um, <laughs> he's just... You know, talking is not a gift that he has. You know, he was gifted with with some fucking studly good looks and, um, you know, the ability to beat some ass. But, um, you know, not to talk about either of those things or anything else. <laughs> uh, so in any case, I don't want to I don't want to um, overshadow Jan Blahovich either, because this is a huge victory for him, oh, huge yeah. feather in his cap. Um, you know, I definitely knew he had the potential to. To do this to Luke Rockhold, I said that on the show last week, you know, those straight punches of Blahovich uh, and, and the way Luke Rockhold holds his hands. I mean, granted, it, it was a shot uh, breaking out of the clinch, but if Rockhold were in the habit of having his hands up, you know, maybe they would have been there to, to at least, you know, dampen the blow a little bit. But man, Blahovich looks good. He, he was he was calling for a title shot, but, you know, he's coming off that TKO loss to Tiago Santos. Um, you know, before that, he was on a uh, a hell of a run uh taking out you know top names in the division maybe blahovich and anthony smith is what we do next that would be a fun fight um yeah that that's probably what's gonna happen if he beats anthony smith i say yeah give him a title shot um because uh, why not but you know he's not he's not a pay-per-view draw john jones is not a pay-per-view draw um you know, there wasn't even a lot of buzz about John Jones fighting this week. I think there was more buzz about like Asker and Masvidal, to be honest. Um, and, and that's always been the case with John Jones. The only time he has sold a lot of pay-per-views is when he fought Daniel Cormier in those grudge matches. So uh, Jan Blahovich is not going to get people to uh, download the ESPN Plus app and pay for that monthly and then order the pay-per-view within that thing if they could figure out how to do that. Um, so yeah, there's all that. All right, let's uh let's move on here. Uh, Michael Chiesa just smothers Diego Sanchez for three rounds. I mean, he just he just was a like a giant hairy quilt 
on top. <laughs> Diego Sanchez, he looks so much bigger. And Diego Sanchez, I was saying this last night, here's a guy who has fought at middleweight before. Hard to believe because he looks so much smaller than Chiesa, who has fought at 155. And, um, you know, I know Rogan talked about it a little too much last night, but how the fuck did this guy ever make lightweight? But um, he looked good. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for him in this division because if you look at the top of the division it's a lot of guys that he's going to have a hard time getting to the ground you know it, tyron woodley how he's not going to be able to take tyron woodley down the way he did with diego sanchez um you know I, towards the end of this fight he wasn't even changing his level for takedowns he was just kind of lowering his head and knocking diego over and then climbing on top of him uh you're not doing that to tyron woodley you're not doing that to kobe covington you're not doing that to rafael dos Santos. you're not doing that to robbie lawler i go on and on um, but he did look good, not to take anything away from him. Um, you know, Diego Sanchez has been a hot streak lately. He had like a yoga instructor in his corner and that was it. He had no MMA people, <laughs> uh, Diego Sanchez that is. So, uh, you know, that's kind of concerning, but I guess 30 fights in the UFC, he didn't feel like he needed anybody. He left Jackson Wink a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a lot of drama coming out of that camp lately. Uh, but uh, give me your thoughts on Michael Chiesa's performance, Jeff. Um, not to take anything away from Chiesa, but, um, you know, I feel like that camp switch um, this late on in camp, this close to the fight, probably affected Diego Sanchez a little bit. But, you know, not to take anything away from Chiesa here, dude dominated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at no point did he look like he was in trouble. Um, didn't look like he was losing any aspect of this fight. And like you said, was just able to ragdoll Diego Sanchez. You know, whenever Kiesa wanted, he took Diego Sanchez down. Mm -hmm. My only concern here, Bill, is, um, and this is not to take anything away from Diego Sanchez because he's he's got a very good grappling game. Uh, Kiesa couldn't finish Sanchez on the ground, mm -hmm. um, despite spending a lot of time on top of him on the ground. Um, you know, he was going for a lot of things, and Sanchez, you know, had answers for all of them. And I agree with you on this, Bill. I think that Kiesa is going to have a hard time with some of these guys at the top. He's mm -hmm. not going to be able to take them down. Um, they're all pretty well-rounded. Uh, you know, all those guys you mentioned, Tyron Woodley, RDA, um, Colby Covington, uh, Kamaru Usman, they can all strike uh, as well. They're all really well-rounded. Mm -hmm. So I think Kiesa is going to have a hard time as we get closer to the top of this division. And I think that Kiesa is probably one of those guys who would benefit from a 165-pound division. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's a little uh, – I think he's going to have a hard time at welterweight as we get closer to the top. And he's just too damn big for 155, man. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he made it, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's that's that's baffling. Um, yeah, he has looked good. I mean, as far as not finishing Diego Sanchez, Diego Sanchez has never been submitted in MMA. He's just one of those guys that's just um, very underrated as a grappler. You're not going to see him submit a ton of people either because he just doesn't prefer to do that. Um, but from what I understand, uh, in the gym, he he gives black belts fits all the time, um, and and actually has a, a um a pretty solid leg lock game uh, from, from the rumors I've heard. Uh, in any case, let's, um, I want to speed things up a little bit here, Jeff. So I'm going to give you a couple of things and then you, you tell me what stands out to you. Uh, the young guy, Arnold Allen extends his uh, winning streak in the UFC, uh, taking out Gilbert Melendez, who 
uh, you know, has now lost five in a row. Unfortunate to see from Gilbert Melendez, who is a legend, has been in some epic wars, including his fight with Diego Sanchez, which was just fucking nuts. And I, um, one of the craziest fights ever. But uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to see uh, Gilbert Melendez still uh, getting in there um, when he, he definitely doesn't have to uh, against these young guys. But Arnold Allen looked good. You know, outpointed Gilbert Melendez in this fight. Got the unanimous decision. Uh, Marlon Vera takes the last-minute opponent, uh, Noeline Hernandez. And uh, Hernandez gave a rose to uh, one of the ring girls at the uh, at the weigh-ins, and that's probably all he's going to be remembered for. Um, Marlon Chito Vera getting the rear naked choke victory. He was supposed to fight uh, Sean O'Malley. Of course, that didn't come together because of O'Malley's uh, USADA issues. And uh, Claudia Gadelia. Uh, looked pretty good. Uh, kept things standing with Brandon Marcos. Um, this was a, a very uneventful fight where they just kind of circled each other like an old-timey boxing fight uh, <laughs> and uh, landed a, a couple of punches. It, it wasn't quite like uh, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, but it, it did have, uh, you know, it was reminiscent of that a little bit. And then, uh, let's see, Song Dong getting a, a knockout victory over Alejandro Perez. Um, and I'm going to stop it there with those four, Jeff. Give me, give me what's... Uh... I can't not mention this. This fight was ridiculous. Song Yadong. Uh, just a young cat coming up. We've talked about him before on the show. We've talked about how skilled he is on the feet. And he's got really good hand speed. He's fast. He can cut his angles really quick, and he was just way too much for Alejandro Perez. But we've talked about uh, Song before. Um, you know, one of his first fights, um, and I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what comes up next for him. I I feel like he uh, he's probably going to be one of these guys uh, this week coming up that's going to have a name a number next to his name. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be up there on the rankings, and I'm excited to see what's next for him in this band weight division. Um, he's shaking it up. Like we said, super fast hands. Um, I believe his last fight was a finish as well. Um, so I'm excited for this dude, man. Yeah. Um, I think he's definitely got a lot of potential. It's it's awesome to see uh, another strong fighter coming out of China because that's a that's a, a market that the UFC is definitely trying to build up. And and yeah, man, he looked fucking vicious last night. Uh, another guy who looked really vicious on the early prelims, Edmund Shabazian. Uh, this is a fight I told you guys last week. If you were going to check out one early prelim, to check out Shabazian versus Jack Marshman, and he just fucking mauled Jack Marshman and in 72 seconds or something like that. Um, Shabazian, uh, really a boxer, but showing off his well-roundedness at 21 years old, just mauled Marshman, uh, beat him up from inside his guard, and then took his back, choked him out in, in you know, the first couple of minutes of the fight here. Uh, just a really dominant, impressive performance from Edmund Shabazian, who, who looks really lean for a middleweight, um, a lot of people calling for a ranked opponent next for Shabazian. I, I hope they kind of pump the brakes with him a little bit. Um, you know, the kid looks phenomenal, but he is 21. You know, you don't want to see him uh, peaking too early and then and then falling off here. But did you catch the Shabazian Marshman fight, Jeff? Unfortunately, Bill, I did not, but I'm definitely going to go back and watch that one. Um, so, Bill, before we go on, uh, I just want to make a note of this. So, uh, no fight of the night award last night but there were 
one, two, three, four performance of the night's awards mm -hmm. going for all of our knockout artists last night. Amanda Nunez, Jorge Masvidal, Jan Blahovich, and the boy, Song Yudong. Mm -hmm. uh, so super exciting fight, man. What'd you think of this card overall? I thought the UFC hit it out of the park here. Yeah, I mean, it's t it's always tough coming off a card like last week, which was like a sleeper card that really overproduced. Um, it, you know, so many phenomenal fights uh, happened last week. And then you have this one where, you, and you get that for free. And then this week you have a pay-per-view where you got to pay for it. And like I said, you know, it started off like really strong. And then, you know, it kind of lulled a little bit with the Claudia Gedalia fight on TV. Even Joe Rogan was like, this isn't the kind of fight you want to see on ESPN, uh, which, you know, he probably shouldn't be saying. He should probably be endorsing his, his product a little bit more, but uh, we all know Rogan doesn't give a fuck. And then, uh, you know, starting off the pay-per-view with Chiesa and Sanchez, probably not the strongest. Um, and, uh, you know, most people aren't going to be a fan of the way the, the John Jones and, and Santos fight went. But other than that, you had a lot of fireworks in between. So uh, overall, I thought this was a really entertaining card. I thought it was, uh, you know, it was it was worth a pay-per-view. And, you know, it was, it was a good fight. Um, chance for counter, getting a... A win over uh, Ismail Nordiev, uh, who's coming in with a lot of hype, and then uh, Julia Vila with uh, the win over Pani Kianzad, uh, Ultimate Fighter alumni, and that's how we uh, that's how we round out this card. But um, yeah, overall, uh, I thought it was great. Um, any other thoughts on UFC 239, Jeff? No, I think we can call it a wrap on UFC 239 but Bill before we discuss next week's card or this card coming up on Saturday Bill you made me a promise you told me that it was scotch month <laughs> so what do you got for me today Bill it's the first Sunday of July yeah man um so July will be scotch month I'm gonna try and keep up with this um you know because I was called out on my knowledge of scotch and you know I gotta step up to the plate here Jeff you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a man who, who takes my knowledge of booze seriously. So a uh, couple of things we need to understand when we talk about scotch, you know, a couple of terms that are going to come up. Like one of them is single malt. A lot of people put a lot of prestige behind the term single malt. And what does that really mean? It means that the whiskey was made in one distillery as opposed to a blended, dis blended scotch where they take, um, you know, some malts, uh, that were combined from different distilleries. So does it necessarily mean quality? No, it doesn't. A lot of people think like if it's not single malt, it's crap. Um, I, I think there's an art to making blended scotches, but uh, a lot of the most coveted scotches are single malt. Uh, another term you'll see coming up is peated. And what that means is smoky so a lot of people think all scotch is supposed to be smoky it's not a lot of scotch could be like very sweet almost uh, almost like a dessert a lot of people like to drink scotch after dinner uh and, and that's one of the ones i happen to be drinking right now jeff this is a, a glenn livet 18 year old scotch this is a, a very coveted scotch for a, you know it's a good one for a, a beginning scotch drinkers who are looking to become connoisseurs you can see the color of it jeff it's almost like um it's almost like your urine when you first wake up in the morning like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only because I haven't drank water, Bill. <laughs> that, well, yeah, you can't do that in your sleep unless you have an IV in your arm. Um, but yeah, it, it's got 
it's got like an apple-y sweetness to it, like apple and brown sugar. Uh, Glenlivet, solid. Um, you know, very, very basic, good, good, good place to start. Uh, if you want to get into scotches, it is a single malt. Um, but yeah, it's like a, like an apple crisp kind of like very full, very rich, very sweet taste to it. And I was talking about the peatiness, Jeff. So, um, what so they have, so the, who's Pete Bill? <laughs> Pete, P E A T, Jeff. Uh, so peat is like a, like a grass with like decomposing, uh, veg vegetation in it and stuff. It's almost like, uh, like hay or like straw. Mm. Uh, and it's found in like the, the boggy areas of Scotland. And what they do is they take the peat and they set it on fire and they use the smoke from the peat to dry out the malt, uh, because you have to have, uh, you have to start the distillation process with a dry malt and, um, so this is like barley or whatever grain they're using to make the scotch. And then um, what happens is because you're using the fire from the peat, uh, it, it like a smoky flavor gets into the, the, the barley or the, the grain, whatever grain you're using to make your whiskey. So like a Lagavulin, Jeff, this is a highly uh, peaty scotch. Mm. Uh, it's got that real smoky, real bold flavor. Um, it's got a little bit of like the brown sugary sweetness to it, but sometimes the peatiness becomes overpowering. And a lot of people who consider themselves scotch enthusiasts will say that peat maybe tastes like, uh, like burning rubber or actually one that I heard recently was like boiled band-aids, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> this was actually the person who, uh, who inspired scotch month saying this, but, uh, you know what it is in like uh, the, the other way to do it is to just let hot air, uh, dry out the malt or, or dry out the barley. And that take, that could take a really long time. Obviously it's a lot faster to just set something on fire and, and, you know, get that smoky flavor infused to it. And in, in like the Highland area area of Scotland, it's like really rainy and really, really wet, really damp. So you don't have like that hot air, um, to dry out the malt and uh, to dry out the barley. So what you could, what you could do is like ship it to an area where it is hot and have it dry out there. But, um, when they first started making scotch whiskeys, they didn't have like the transportation methods in order to, to send the barley back and forth. So they figured out if they just set the peat on fire, it dries it out quicker and it makes it taste really nice and smoky. So there's a big divide, uh, in the scotch community, scotch drinkers, like, should scotch have peat in it or should it not? And I mean, if you go according to history, it should, because that's how it started out. Uh, it was only like, you know, down the line a little bit, they figured out that they could just let it air dry and it takes a little bit longer. And then that becomes a more coveted, more rich, more sweet scotch. Um, and, and usually more expensive than the, than the peatier ones as well. But if you ask me, I like them both, Jeff. I'm a big fan of, of single malts that, that have been air dried and I'm a big fan of single malts and, and blended that have been, uh, dried with the peat smoke. Uh, there there's, you know, it, it depends what your palate is. If you like really sweet, really rich, really, uh, really full flavor, then, then you're going to like the air dried. If you like, if you like a smoky flavor, then you're going to like the peat. Um, so again, Glenlivet, 
this is a, a pretty standard. So this is a good starting point. So if you're listening to the show and you're not really into scotch, uh, this is not one of the smoky ones. This is more of the, the sweet, like an apple pie, like an apple crisp, uh, an apple brown Betty, if you will. Um, really, really rich uh, flavor to it. So, you know, order one of those after dinner one night and, um, and give it a shot. Uh, I want to hear from you guys, though. So this is this is going to be uh, a fully uh, immersive event this Scotch Month. I want to hear what you guys drink out there as well because I'm looking for recommendations. You know, I want to try some new stuff. I'm going to give you guys some of my all-time favorite scotches. Um, I know Jeff has one for sure that we're going to get to. Um, you, you know, it was it was featured on the podcast last year, the Lagavulin, which is one of those controversial PD scotches that I think is delicious, one of my all time favorites. Um, so that'll be um, one of the weeks of Scotch Month. But starting now with the Glenlivet. So uh, let me know what you think about that. Let me know what you think about um, you know the description of the scotches, and I could get into a little bit more detail about it. But you know, I just had a I just had to come out and flex a little bit, Jeff. You know, flex a little bit of the Scotch knowledge. I know, uh, I know my booze, and uh, I don't appreciate p- people telling me otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, what are your thoughts, Jeff? Uh, have I convinced you? You, you want to go out and grab a Scotch right now, or or we still got some work to do? Oh, Bill, I'm uh, I'm all on board for it. I'm actually uh, I've been looking for something to to sip on over the summer. You know, I got some time off from work, mm-hmm. uh, so I might have to. Uh, you know, I, I'm like you said, like I told you before, uh, more of a beer dude. So, um, I I think I'm gonna jump on this uh, Scotch wagon here and uh, delve a little bit deeper into, um, you know, uh, something that's a little different from whiskey and stuff like that so might have to look for some glenn livet so bill what uh which one would you recommend because uh just like typing it into google here i'm finding the 12 year pop up a lot yeah the 12 year so that's going to be a really common one that you'll find and there's a big difference between the 12 and the 18 because they're they're aged in different types of wood um so i think the 18 is aged in uh, american oak which is going to bring a little bit more sweetness forward. Um, and the 12, I actually have a bottle of 12 here also. Um, let's see. It doesn't say right on the front what it's aged in. Um, but yeah, so the, the 12 is going to be a little on the lighter side. So it's not going to be as full, as rich, as sweet. Um, but it, it's, it's still a nice scotch, it's a nice sipper. And, um, it, the price point is definitely a lot lower as well for the 12 year and it's still a really nice sip. Uh, it doesn't have that smokiness of a peated scotch, um, cause it is still, uh, an air dried single malt. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Um, but we could talk about it, um, in more detail down the line. We'll, we'll, we'll pick you out something, Jeff, that you can, uh, you can break down for the people, but let's talk about, um, UFC fight night, one fifty five. And at, at first glance, I wasn't thrilled with this card. There was only like one fight that was jumping out to me, but now I'm seeing a couple of others as well, because I'm looking down, like I'm, I'm looking at sure dog and they always kind of like mix these up. So in any case, this is in, uh, the Golden One Center in Sacramento, California. The the headliner is not going to get anybody to tune in. It's Aspen Lad and Jermaine Duranamy. 
Um, if Jermaine Duranami wins against Aspen Land, I don't know what you do with her because you can't put her in there with Amanda Nunez again. You just can't. Um, you know, especially after running away from that 145 pound title, you can't put her in there for a title shot. I, I just don't see it happening, but I also don't see, uh, a way for Jermaine Randomy to stop the takedown and the punishment of Aspen lad, who this is a quick, uh, pretty quick turnaround for her. Um, but I don't know. Maybe you could change my mind, Jeff, or maybe you're in the same boat. What do you feel about this main event? Yeah, but I don't think I'm changing your mind. <laughs> uh, Aspen Ladd, you know, been on a tear lately. And Jereen Durandamy hasn't fought since, um, what's it been, like two years? Let me see. Something like that. Um, you know, don't quote me on that. But Durandamy hasn't fought in a while. November um, will be. November will be a year, actually. So it's, yeah, November 2018 was her last fight against Raquel Pennington. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so Duranami hasn't fought in a while. I think Aspen Ladd, um, you know, I, I think the ground game is going to be too much for Duranami. She's a very big striker. But if Aspen Ladd can, can you know, find a way to get uh, to get really close to Duranami, you know, find a way past the clinch a little bit, and just take it to the ground. I think it's all Aspen Lad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Bill, the only fights, you know, um, to me, this is looking a little bit. Um, and we talked about this before the show. It, it looks like it's a little bit hard to get into, but looking at some of these fights, um, there are some I definitely want to watch. So, I definitely want to see Uriah Faber coming out of retirement. He's going to be fighting Ricky Simone. Uh, Josh Emmett versus Mursad Bektich looks really good. Benil Daryush versus Drakkar Close. I think that one's going to be really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cesar Mutante Ferreira is fighting against Marvin Vittori at middleweight. That fight looks pretty good to me. And um, in the prelims, we have Darren Elkins fighting Ryan Hall. I think that will be really good. And someone who hasn't fought in a really long time, Bill, um, the winner of the first women's ultimate fighter series juliana pena is going to be fighting former flyweight women's champion nico montano at 135 i think that one's going to be a really good fight as well uh what do you think bill anything that i just mentioned um wetting your palate a little bit here yeah so the ryan hall darren elkins is really an interesting fight for me um it's a crazy matchup because darren elkins is like the Terminator, like impossible to put away. And Ryan Hall has been putting away everybody. Um, it, it's going to be tough to, you know, use like an Iminari role and get in on Darren Elkins legs, you know, a wrestler like that. Um, but Ryan Hall could definitely do it. I think that's, that's a really intriguing matchup. Um, the Josh Emmett Mursad Bektik fight, I think is going to be fucking nuts. Uh, these are two bangers, uh, guys that get like to get in there and just slug it out. Um, you know, Josh Emmett, real big power puncher. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him, you know, opening up for Uriah Faber. Uh, I don't know, man. I saw Uriah Faber last night in somebody's corner and he was looking every bit of 40 years old. Um, <laughs> he was looking like kind of pale and drawn out for him. I, I'm, I, I don't know why he's doing this, man. He went out on a high note. He's got, you know, he's got a real entrepreneurial brain. He's got some businesses. He's got his gym. He's got so much going on for himself. Why does he want to get in there and fight a fucking killer like Ricky Simone? Um, 
you know, even if he beats him, like, what's what's it going to do? I, I, I kind of got it when TJ was the champ and, you know, he could come in and, and you know, maybe win a fight and then have that grudge match with TJ. But that's kind of off the table. Um, I just don't see the reason why he would do this. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's a competitor and he wants to do it. So here we go, man. I think Ricky Simone is a real dangerous fight for anybody. Um, you know, especially somebody who's been sitting on the shelf retired, you know, and credit to Uriah Faber. Like he never took himself out of the USADA pool. Um, so I guess he was never really officially retired. Uh, you know, kept getting drug tested all this time. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, Benil Darius, Tracar close. That's going to be a fun fight. And, uh, Carl Roberson is fighting on this card. He's from the, uh, contender series. He's a real explosive striker. He's fighting. Some guy named Wellington Terman, who sounds like that sounds like a fake name. Sounds like a <laughs> like a <laughs> like a pseudonym. It, it reminds me of um, you know that movie Bad Santa? The kid was Thurman Merman. <laughs> it reminds me. It reminds me of Thurman Merman. Um, we got uh, John Vellante on this card too, and Mike Rodriguez. So John Vellante is a, a guy. You know, every time he fights, like maybe he's going to use his wrestling credentials this time. And then, nope, he's like, I need to slug it out. So, I mean, you got to respect that. It hasn't been the best uh, for his career, but uh, it's definitely entertaining. And then the Andre Feely, Shaman Rice fight is, is a lot of fun. Um, so, this is a, you know what? I was disappointed with this card just because the main event is shit. But, you know, now that we've been talking through it, uh, I'm kind of excited for a lot of the middle of this. So, yeah, yeah, I think if we just change the headliner, maybe I'd be more excited. But the build up to that is phenomenal. Um, like we said, Uriah Faber, the Josh Emmett fight, uh, yeah. Dariush versus Jakar Close, that'll be really good. Um, Cesar Ferreira, he's a monster at middleweight. I'm really excited to see him fight. Um, I could do without Nico Montano, but I do like Juliano Pena, yeah. Um, I'm excited to see her get back in there. Uh, like you said, Darren Elkins versus Ryan Hall. I'm really curious to see if Ryan Hall can keep up with Darren Elkins because Darren Elkins is just going to pressure him. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if he's going to be able to get off that uh, heel hook garbage he goes for. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Um, and then uh, you mentioned Mutante. He's fighting Marvin, the Italian dream Vittori, who in his last fight, which was – uh, over a year ago, he took uh, the current interim champ Israel Adesanya to a split decision. So, um, mm. you know, legit competitor there. That that's a fun fight. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of fun things going on in this card. I think it'll be a good time. Um, you know, so have some drinks and and enjoy it. Um, I think, man, we went kind of long this week, Jeff. You know, we haven't done this in in so long that uh, we we just go on and on. There was a lot. A lot going on though, but anything else you want to get off your chest? Um, now nah, I'm just excited to try out some new scotches. Um, I'm back for for a while, Bill. You know, got some uh, some time myself in the summer, so I'm ready to rock and roll. I feel like some of the cards coming up. They had some reveals for the main events last uh, last week, mm -hmm. so um, the next card coming up in the next pay per view in July is going to be awesome. The one in August is really good. Mm -hmm. uh, we got DC versus Stipe coming up. Um, the boy Frankie Edgar 
feel like he's the spirit of New Jersey embodied into a person, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Fighting Max Holloway. So, Bill, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. A lot of good content. Yeah, man. Lots of fun stuff to talk about. So even if the card next week sucks, you know, we'll have some scotch and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what's on the horizon for the UFC and elsewhere. All right. So if you guys want to get a hold of Jeff and give him some scotch recommendations, please do so at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget the animal is now on Instagram. So go give him a follow on there. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks everywhere on social media. You go to our website, MMA on rocks.com, which is where, by the way, I just wrote a blog about my uh, brewery tour in Asheville, North Carolina. I talked about my top five favorite breweries that I loved in Asheville. I do still plan on, on doing a one-off podcast that will break down all those breweries for, uh, you know, anybody who enjoys traveling and enjoys, uh, going to breweries, uh, like I do. And, and like my family does, uh, I do want to put that podcast out for you guys, but if you've been waiting on that, then, uh, you can get a preview of it with the blog I just posted. Uh, top five breweries in the Asheville, North Carolina area. It is an absolute mecca for craft beer. Uh, and uh, I'm planning on making this a series where I, I rate and review uh, breweries for you guys based on a criteria that I've come up with over uh, many months and many beers. Um, so <laughs> it may not make a lot of sense, but it's there for you. To enjoy so reach out to us on social media let, let, let us know what you guys are thinking and drinking and that's all we got for this week until next time cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>